All right, well, good morning. Um, it's so like shocking to hear uh, Leslie say I could be one of her heroes. That's a little much. I'm not going to think too much about it because then I may need some emotional regulation. So I'm going to just <laughs> move forward. So when I was thinking about coming to Denton and thinking about um, anytime you get ready to speak, this may be a little bad for me because I may trip because um, I move around a lot. When, you, when I think about speaking, I always try to remember the audience to which I was speaking to. And so um, I was thinking about Denton and hoping and praying it was only going to be like 10 people here because it's summer and I was going to be like, eh, just 10 people. Um, but there's more than that here, so thank you for coming. Um, but um, just thinking about um, me in the age that many of you are coming out of college, in college, um, and just thinking about who I was at that time. So I want to share a little bit of my testimony, like, you know, where I came, you know, where God brought me through, and then we'll see what God says. And so um, I grew up Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. When I say Christian, I mean we went to church. Like, so we went to church on Sunday. Um, I sang in the choir for most of my teen years, VBS in the summer. Um, I, at one point, was a debutante for Christ. If you know what a debutante for Christ is, I don't know if this is a Baptist, black Baptist thing or not, but it's like a fundraiser that you raise money and you're, you like, it's like a coming out to the world that you're a Christian and so you wear these big, like, elaborate dresses and all these things and... Um, long story short, I won that debutante for Christ deal, and I gave this speech that someone wrote for me about how much I love God and how much he means to me all the time. Um, I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I was raised by my grandparents. My mom was a single mother, um, and my dad still is a cocaine addict to this day. So he's been in and out of my life, the majority of my life. And I didn't live with my mom full time until I was a freshman in high school. So I drifted in and out from house to house for the majority of my life. And so church was at church and home was at home. My grandparents that I lived with were unmarried. My grandfather was a preacher. He went to, he preached at different churches and then um, he actually got his own church, and then my grandparents got married. So it was a little bit, there was a lot of things that were confusing to me growing up about church and Christianity and what that all was. So fast forward, um, and then so I just want to touch on my, about my family. So my family is one of those um, not touchy-feely type people. They are very strict, and so you should know that we love you. And I am a little bit opposite of that. I need to be hugged. I need to be encouraged. I need to be loved on because that's how I receive love. And so for, for this type of family, coupling with the fact that I didn't grow up with my parents um, that I felt growing up, it just was, I just, I just couldn't put all the pieces together. We're doing this one thing, and then we were... You know, life was one way when we went to church, and life was another way when we went home, and I didn't have a connection to home. So, 
Fast forward, I moved out on my own when I was 19 with my cousin who had her own issues, which was not a good, good fit. I was in college working part-time, working full-time and going to school full-time. And that was the lowest point of having to pay bills, having to go to school, having to do all these things and not ever measuring up. It was always a feeling of just not measuring up, that I just wasn't good enough. I was so low at that time that I vividly remember wanting to drive my car off the cliff and end it all. Save me. So my topic today is all who wonder are not lost. About 21, I was back home with my mom and now my stepdad. I met my first husband. We were instantly in love, instantly together. And during that time, he began to study Islam that I've longed for for so long. I began to discover Islam as well. I um, became a Muslim in name with him for um, about a couple of years. And I was disowned by my only family that I knew. So disowning, they stopped all contact from me. I was dead to them. Um, this was especially hard for me with my mom because I didn't have a relationship with her anyway. And then now this is true rejection from her because of this life that I chose. And so I don't know if you're wondering, like, why Islam? Why would you go to Islam? Why would you do this? Whatever. For me, Islam was like, Islam, like, created like this thing in me. Like I had always had this yearning to know and understand. This is my thought. Everyone believed the same thing. They all prayed, they were unified, they all prayed at the same time. Um, you know, the trips to Mecca, there was just like this, and this self-discipline was the draw. I've always been someone who's just kind of like, I do it sometimes, because sometimes I don't. But this was like this draw for me. And I also wanted to be loved by my husband at the time. So. You know, Islam was a deal. We did it in name for a while. But when I got into Islam, I found out that everyone was not unified and that there's different sects of Islam, just like there's different sects and divisions of Christianity. And when I went to the mosque for the first time, I was not treated very well. And so it was just, after all of the... Um, the biggest reason why there was like this disconnect between Islam and myself was because the love of God was missing. Islam does not teach about the love of God. It's all about practice and what you do. And like many of the other religions, it's about all about works. And so um, it's about works and obedience. So fast forward again to 30, um, my cousin, we were just, he would, I had just turned 30, and he, he was three weeks older than me, and he was killed um, by a gang initiation. And it was just this big trauma that happened in my life. And him dying, and me trying to figure out marriage, and if I wanted the, to end my marriage, it was this big, huge light bulb. And in that season of Walking Dead, God woke me up, and I, I feel like I just chose to live because my cousin was killed, and I saw how, how um, 
I felt vividly that life was short. And I'm like, I'm 30, this shouldn't be happening. But he was gone in the blink of an eye. And in that moment for me, I chose life. John Piper describes it like this, how I was feeling. He says, occasionally we weep deeply over the life you hoped for or you hoped would be. You grieve the loss, then you wash your face, you trust God, and embrace the life that you have. So that was me. I wanted to embrace, I wanted to live. And when I chose to live, I instantly went back to church. I instantly went back to Jesus. What was my foundational part of me? Ronnie, Ronnie Worsham, in his book, God Thoughts, describes choice like this. Choice is arguably the most exquisite blessing God has given us. It spells freedom. It defines us as individual beings. It allows us to love as God loves. Choice grants to each of us incredible power, but with it comes responsibilities and rewards, temporal and eternal, as well as the good book, as my grandmother would call it, says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, today I'm giving you a choice of two ways, and I ask heaven and earth to be witnesses of your choices. You can choose life or death. The first choice will bring a blessing. The other choice will bring a curse. So choose life, then you and your children will live. When I think about you and your children will live, I always get Islam. She never knew it was a part of my life. All she knows is Christ. And my seven-year-old absolutely knows no different than the love that she sees in me now in my relationship with Christ. So because of that choice, my children will live. Sweet blessing. So when we came um, to Northeast, Ronnie sought us out and um, discipled us. And I, but most of all, I learned that I had to develop my own relationship with God. I heard it said once that God doesn't have grandkids. Like, you can't, your mom and dad have a relationship with God. You can't come under their umbrella and then you instantly have your own, have a relationship with him too. It is a one-on-one -on -one thing, seeking, answering the call of God in your life, one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. Two grandmothers that consistently prayed for me. They consistently prayed that I would come back to Christ. They consistently prayed that I would come back to the foundational truth that they tried to embed in me. They were consistently prayer warriors for me. And when I think about them, I know that they're the reason that I'm here today. And so when I think about those women, I think about the story of the parable of the persistent widow. And I wrote down, I think it's Luke. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but he finally, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that will he keep putting them off? I will tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, the Son of Man comes and he will find. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? All who wonder are not lost. Because of that consistent prayer of my grandmother's. I'm emotionally regulated or not. Because when you're walking dead and you feel like everyone has given up on you and you feel like um, life can never be put back together again, when you feel the love of God in you, it's something that you can never forget. It's something that you can never never lose sight of, never like put back on the back burner. Uh, a little while after we had came to Northeast, I lost my job and I, um, I was a breadwinner at, at the time and I had a lot of pride in my job. I had a lot of, um, I guess just pride. Just, it, was, it was like my identity, you know? I was making all this money and I had all these titles and positions I worked so hard for and then just like that. It was gone. And so for me, it was like I was, it was another death, you know? I was sad, I was just crying to me, um, texting me throughout the week, she knew I was struggling and coming to sit by me at church and just saying, I love you. And just consistently being that love that I needed to receive at that time that I, I mean, she was a friend to me when I didn't even know that I needed a friend. She was just that consistent love that I needed to feel from God at that time. So, I don't know. I don't know why I said that, but loved me well. But there's so many people in my life that I can see now that loved me well that way that prayed consistently for me to come back to Christ that would not let me go. I don't know if there's someone in your life that you feel like is wandering. You know, maybe it's you. Maybe you're sitting here at 18, 19, 20, 25, whatever your age is. But, like, I don't know if there is a God I just want to encourage you to keep moving forward and to speak out about how you're feeling and to let people love you well in this season. Because there's, I'm sure there are certain people or there's plenty of people who will want to walk along that with you. And I remember in 2008 when Barack Obama was running for president, and that was a significant time in history because um, not only was he was the first uh, person of color that could have be could be president of the United States, but the the um, the U.S. was in a recession, and it was like eight million people had lost their jobs. It was all these things going on in the world, and people needed a hope, right? They needed a hope, and. 
For me, I think that that's what we always need. We always need to be reminded of the hope. And the hope that we have as believers is in Jesus. That we, um, there is no, no other hope I know that consistently brings me back to myself, consistently brings me back to the truth of who I have been called to be than, than Jesus. In Isaiah, our guilt on him. He was treated badly, but he never protested. He said nothing like a lamb, like a lamb being led away to be killed. He was like a sheep that makes no sound as its wool is being cut it off. He never opened his mouth to defend himself. He was taken away by force and judged unfairly. The people in his at, the people of his time did not even notice that he was killed. But he was put to us what is right, will make his people right with me. He will take away their sins. For this reason, I will treat him as one of my great people. I will give him the rewards of one who wins in battle, and he will share them with his powerful ones. I will do this because his gate, he gave his life for his people. He will, he will be considered a criminal, but the truth is, he carried away the sins of many. Now he will stand before me and speak for those who have sinned. Jesus is the hope of God that was sent to us over 2,000 years ago. He is the hope of the parent that has a child that's in the season of wondering. He is the hope of us who are in ministry that sometimes get weary and sometimes get frustrated and sometimes have a longing for things to look different in our lives. He is that hope. He is a hope for those who are in the season of wondering in their own life where what today looks like isn't good. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.